Let me now invite you to open your Bibles to Psalm 133. Psalm 133. I will never forget the morning of September 11, 2001. Many of you who are as old as me or older around that age, you probably remember it as well, that tragedy that happened in New York City. At 8.46 a.m. that morning, the first plane crashed into the World Trade Center's North Tower. 17 minutes later, a second plane crashed into the South Tower. I, I remember all this very clearly. I was working for a company called CTDI, and somebody close by was listening to the radio, and they're like, I think, I think a plane crashed into the tower, one of the twin towers in New York City. And so I, I remember that break, the first break that we had at lunch. Everybody was just surrounded the TV, dozens of people, and it was just absolutely quiet as we're listening to what is taking place in New York. It, it, was, it, was, it was a tragic, overwhelming uh, thing that happened in our country. But, but as bad as it was, one of the things that stuck out, stuck out to me during that season of our country is the unity that we experienced as a country. For the first time, one of the main times in my life, it felt like I was part of the United States of America. Just, I remember going around to stores and just the camaraderie with all people. Like for, for, for one time in our life, the, the political realm of things was just done away with. We didn't look at things from, from red or blue. It was this united feeling of it was us against these terrorists who were wreaking havoc. It, it was... In that sense, it was a beautiful time for our country. Of course, you, you look at the landscape of our country today, and in, in my lifetime, I don't think it's ever been as ununified as, as it is right now. The divide between Republicans and Democrats, in my estimation, couldn't be further apart from one another. And we see what that does for a country where we can't get along. Some of you know this, when you gather together with family, like you can't have conversations over politics because it leads to this big, huge mess. Well, as we look at Psalm 133, we're going to see the opposite of disunity. We're going to actually see the beauty of Christian unity. We're going to see the blessing, that's the title of the message this morning, the blessing of Christian unity. When we come together, when we are unified, it is one of the most beautiful things. And, and when we are unified as a church, we can do far more to reach the lost with the gospel than we can when we are disunified. And so this morning, here's my big idea. Here's what I want to, us to see. Christian unity leaves a satisfying aroma for all people to benefit from. When we are unified as a church, the aroma, what it does in our lives, affects everyone around us. And so let's jump into the text this morning. It's a, it's a very small psalm, and yet one that is worth our attention here this morning. Let me read Psalm 133 for us. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. 
It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon which falls on the mountains of Zion for where the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the unity that we have this morning in Christ. Lord, what a, what a unique gathering it is that, Lord, we, we come together from many different backgrounds, Lord. None of us would ever cross path in a million years apart from what you have done in our lives. And Father, when we live in the unity of Jesus amongst one another, oh, the things that we can do to advance your kingdom in the darkness. But Lord, we confess that sometimes we allow disunity to, to make its way in, in our lives and in the church. And when we do that, Lord, it, it's ugly. It's a mess. And Father, we're all, we're all susceptible to disunity with every relationship that we are in. And so, Lord, this morning, I pray that you would challenge us deeply. I pray that you would open our eyes, that we would behold wondrous things from your law, Lord, that we would think on the concept of unity and that we would be deeply affected. Lord, if, if in our lives we are causing disunity in any way, God, would you point that out to us so that we can be the beautiful aroma of Christ to a world that so desperately needs to see it, Lord. Thank you for your grace and mercy. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So we are almost done with our summer series as we have looked at the Psalms labeled A Song of Ascents. If you are newer with us and you haven't been with us, this is the, the title of every Psalm from Psalm 120 through 134. And just as a reminder, uh, these songs were sung by the Jews as they made their way to Jerusalem in order to worship together. So there were many Jews like spread, uh, spread throughout the, the ancient world over there. And, and they would come together for three different festivals to worship God. And as we think about that background information, this psalm really makes a lot of sense that it is included towards the end of these songs. By this point, there is great anticipation. They're nearing Jerusalem, and they are getting ready to meet with other like-minded people to worship God together. After all, they have all traveled to Jerusalem for that purpose. You know, it reminds me of going to Christian conferences. One of the things that I love doing there is something about gathering together as God's people at a conference. Here's the reason why I say that. It, it, it's even a little bit more unique than church. Now, obviously, the church is the hope of the world. The gathering like this is, is more real life. This is real life. But not everybody comes here. Not everybody who is here is desiring to be here. You go to a conference, though, people are fired up. They've, they've put money, they put resources into getting there. And the worship that you experience of people who are excited about Christ, who want to grow in them. I, I love going to conferences. Uh, in fact, I invite you to join me in October, from October 23rd through the 26th in Canada, actually. The Great Commission Collective is putting on a conference that I'll be attending and would love to have company. Uh, but I look forward to that because this is even a more unique conference because the Great Commission Collective, if you don't know what it is, it's, it's an organization that we support as a church 
their main purpose is to strengthen leaders and plant churches. So they help plant us as a church. And, and these are brothers and sisters in Christ whom Nikki and I especially have gotten to know. Uh, I'm on monthly calls with pastors uh, around the country that are tied to the GCC. And we're just, we have the same mind. And it's a unique, beautiful thing that we gather together. This is, this is, this is what, what David is saying here. He, he's speaking of this unity. Verse 1, behold. Now, whenever you see that word behold in the scriptures, they are calling you, hey, pay attention to what I'm about to say. You can't miss this. Put this on the headlines. Write it on your mirrors. Whatever you need to do, you need to pay attention to what I'm about to say. How good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in harmony. In other words, it is delightfully good when brothers live in harmony, when brothers live in unity. I want you to notice who they uh, assign this psalm to. It's been attributed to David. Now let me ask you about David. Did David ever face chaos and disunity in his life? He, I think he knew a little bit about that. We don't know the time frame of when he wrote this, but let me just give you a little history story uh, about David and what he experienced. Now, if you remember uh, as a child, when David was a child, he was one of the younger siblings in his family, and he had brothers who were off to war. And during this time that the Israelites were in war, the king was Saul. And there was this, this bully who was challenging the Israelites to a, a battle. Remember his name? Goliath, and he was part of the Philistines. You guys are on it this morning. All right. Got some Bible trivia questions getting, getting scored here today. All right. And so, so Goliath here was challenging them, and they were saying, hey, send your best warrior out. And whoever wins, that group of people will, be, will, be, will, will rule over the loser's side. And so, and so the, the Israelites were, of course, they were scared to death. Saul was scared to death. But here's the other thing that Goliath was doing. He was mocking God. He was mocking God. And David heard this. As David is a little, I don't know if he was a punk or not. I kind of, he's just like this, he's hearing this mockery of his God. And he's like, this isn't, this isn't going to happen. And David's like, I'll take him on. Now remember, he's just a little kid. And Saul's like, what are you, what are you doing? You're, you're just a child. Like, no, no, no. He's not going to mock my God. So David, of course, he, Saul tries to get him some uh, some armor to put on. It's too big for him. And so I, he's like, I don't need that. Give me five stones and a sling. I'm good to go. So David goes and, of course, slays Goliath, kills him, cuts his head off. And there's victory for the Israelites. And the Philistines go running off. But, but here is the bad thing that happened for David with this. All of a sudden now, the people were singing songs about David. You remember the song, what it was? Saul has killed his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And so Saul becomes prideful, and he's jealous of David. Now here's the other thing that you should know about David. David was best friends with Saul's son. What was Saul's son's name? Jonathan. And, and, and so what happened was is Saul shouldn't even have been king in the first place because the Israelites had rejected God as king and made Saul king, and Saul was a terrible king. And, and it was... It was time for Saul to be done with. And, and so Saul became jealous of David to the point where he even tried to kill him, and David had to run for his life. That wasn't the worst of it for David, though. 
As David grew, he, he became king, and he had kids, and his kids grew older. And there was a wayward child who wanted to be king. What was his name? Absalom. And he tried to kill David as well. David had to flee for his life again. See, David knew what disunity looked like. So I, I don't know when this was written, but, but if this was after the fact, I, I could hear David saying, man, I have seen the ugliness of disunity, and it's brutal. Oh, oh, how good and pleasant it is to live amongst others in unity. How sweet it is when we get along and we truly love one another and we can do damage for the kingdom of God together. So at this point, we need to ask ourselves a very important question then. What, what does it look like to live in unity? How can we achieve that in our church? So, so this morning, I want to spend the majority of our time looking at that. So here's what we're going to do. I have five statements of what unity isn't and what unity is. And we're going to discuss these and work through so that we're, we're understanding of what unity is. Because there's a lot of confusion, even in our world, of what that looks like. And we need to make sure that we understand what Christian unity looks like. So here's the first thing. Unity is, sorry, Unity is not absolute conformity. Unity is not absolute conformity. Here's what I mean by that. Absolute conformity is when you think you have to all look exactly the same. You have to agree on everything. There's only one way to do things. It's sort of a, a communist feel, like... There's only like one way to do things. There are some people who think this way, even in the church. You have to homeschool your kids. The wife must stay home. Women can't wear pants. And the list goes on and on and on. The, the, and, and those kind of things, when we feel like we have to look exactly the same, that does not foster true humility. It doesn't equal unity. It does not equal unity. Rather, as believers, this is what unity is. Unity is like-minded. Unity is like-minded. No, it's not total conformity, but there are some things that we should agree upon. There are some things that we should be unified with. You've probably heard this statement before. I love this. In essentials, unity. In the things that matter most, we should be unified over. In the non-essentials, there should be liberty. In all things, charity. Or in all things, love. If we want to be unified, there are certain things we must come to agree on. So I want to share a few statements, and I want you to tell me whether these things are essential or non-essential. First of all, this. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Essential or not? Essential. Essential. There are three persons in one God. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Essential or not essential? Essential. essential. Homeschool, Christian school, public school. Essential or not essential? Non essential. Style of worship music in a church. Essential or not essential? Contrary to popular belief, it is not essential. Being a Notre Dame fan, essential or not essential? Essential. I mean, wait, 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 wait. Non essential. Here's the problem, though. The problem comes when we define essential differently than the way 
God views what is essential. This is one reason why as a church we have a doctrinal statement, so that we look at it, and there is agreement, okay, I know where the church stands, and I'm not going to budge, we're not going to budge on certain things. And so when you become a member, you come alongside the leadership, you, you link arms with these doctrines. Uh, Ephesians 4, 4, and 4 through 6 speak of unity here. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Philippians 1, 2, 2, 1 and 2 says something similar. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Listen, when it comes to our salvation, we should be of the same mind. We should understand that we are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, to the glory of God alone. We must be unified in, when it comes to who God is according to Scripture. We also must be like-minded in how we approach Scripture. Consider this. You have somebody who claims to be a Christian, but they don't hold to the authority of Scripture. They don't believe it's inspired by God. They don't believe it's inerrant in its original form. They don't hold to its authority, but imagine then there's another person that they become friends with who believes the opposite. They, they do believe Scripture is in God's inspired word. They do believe it's an error in its original form. They do believe in the authority of Scripture. Can you have unity? No, you can't. Here's the reason why. If you aren't holding to the sufficiency of Scripture, then how do you agree on what truth is? If you got somebody saying, I don't know, that's an ancient book, like, we gotta, we got to be progressive in our understanding of God. You can't have unity. So are you unified in the scriptures? Are you unified in salvation? These are the things that matter. But listen, unity is not absolute conformity, but unity is being like-minded. Here's another thing about unity. Unity is not accepting of all. Unity is not accepting of all. There, there's something in culture that says you must accept all people into the family of God. Doesn't matter race, gender identity, LGBTQ plus or not. If you want to be unified, you must accept all people no matter what. Now, now let me see here. Let me, let, me, let me say this first. Here at Gospel Community Church, anyone is welcome to come to church on Sunday, provided they're not going to be an interruption to our gathering. But as believers, we know God doesn't welcome just anyone into the kingdom of God. Unless you confess your sins before a holy God and place your faith in Christ for salvation, you will not be saved. This is why the first thing I mentioned is so vital. I hold to the belief that God made man man. And woman, woman, essential or non-essential? It's essential. Marriage is between a biological man and a biological woman, essential or non-essential? 
It's essential because if you, if you say that's not essential, then all of a sudden you're, start, you're starting to mess with the authority of God and his word. Marriage is between a biological man and a biological woman, period. End of story. There are no side notes to that. There are no exceptions. And, and we as a church will not compromise on that. Therefore, we won't accept all things and pretend like it's okay. We're not going to approve a lifestyle that God's word does not approve, just like we're not going to allow a man come in here or a woman who continually is involved in an affair and it's known and be okay with that. This is not, the, this is not what God has called us to live by. But listen, there, there's something we need to be aware of. Unity is not accepting of all, but unity is speaking the truth in love. We will encounter sin in the church why because we're all sinners we will have to deal with others who claim to be christian who will stand for unbiblical things we will encounter unbelievers who are volatile to christ in the church but we are still called to speak the truth in love now stay here i want you to turn with me to ephesians chapter 4 Ephesians chapter 4, and I want us to, to look a little bit more into this, because uh, we as believers, we love to speak the truth, <laughs> but, but listen to what it says here, Ephesians 4, verse 11, let me read it for you. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children. Listen, what do you know about children and babies when they're learning to walk? What do they do? They stumble and they fall, right? Like they, they get tripped up. They're learning things. They don't have everything put together. We may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. We, we are called to speak the truth in love. There are times when we all need to be confronted because we just don't have it all together. As a new believer, you, you may have come from a place and were taught certain things that aren't true and, and so you put yourself under the eldership of a church and all of a sudden you're learning these things that you thought were true and people are confronting you on and, and it's there to help you. And, and we need to be, be careful though that we understand that when it comes to the truth, we need to do so in love. We need to speak it in love. There, there are a lot of Christians a lot of people who love speaking the truth. Oh, I, I've seen Christians who love to hammer people with the truth. But 1 Corinthians 13 says anything you do without love is what? It's a noisy gong. It's a clanging cymbal. Have you ever, have you ever like, been around a kid who sees a drum set and all of a sudden they start beating on the cymbal? It is one of the most annoying songs, sounds you can imagine. That's the sound of somebody who wants to beat you over the head with the Bible with no love. 
We can't just speak the truth. We need to do so in love. And listen, the opposite is also dangerous. We can't just quote-unquote love without being willing to speak the hard truth when necessary. Some people go by the slogan, love wins. But, but listen, if someone is caught in sin and we see it, but we refuse to call it out because we want to be quote-unquote loving, the reality is we are being anything but loving. I mean, imagine the ludicrousy of this. You go to the doctor. Doctor does a scan and they find a tumor that needs to be operated very quickly. Otherwise, you might die. Imagine the doctor saying, I don't want to be offensive. I see something ugly inside them. But you know what? If I tell them, they might be offended. It might hurt their feelings if I tell them of this ugliness that's inside them. So I'm just going to let it go. That's crazy, right? How much more vital is our spiritual health than our physical health? And yet how often, and I fall guilty of this too, how often do we fail to say what needs to be said because we want to be, quote-unquote, loving? Listen, when it's not about accepting all people, but it is about speaking the truth and doing so in love. As Christians, we have come to the place of seeing our need to repent of our sin and place our faith in Christ. But if we see someone, for instance, who is involved in a same-sex relationship or having an affair with a person, not their spouse, the most loving thing that we can do is say, open your eyes. You are sinning against Almighty God. The sexually immoral will not inherit the kingdom of God. Confronting sin in love is one of the most loving things you can do. Recently, the elders had to do this very thing to me. It wasn't something that was disqualifying me of ministry, but nevertheless, it was something that I needed to hear. It's something that they needed to say. And listen, it, it hurt. I, I wanted to defend myself until I listened to what they're saying. And very quickly, the spirit was like, Ben, you need to hear this. Take this in. And so it got me back on track. It, it was what I needed in that moment. It, it, and it would have been a completely unloving for them not to say something. So let me ask you, when it comes to unity, do you somehow think confrontation of sin isn't part of that? Unity isn't accepting of all, but it is speaking the truth in love. Here's another one. This one, let me explain it. Unity is not social media friendship. <laughs> Here's what I mean by that. Unity doesn't happen because you are associated with someone. We are not unified as a church just because we have the word member by our names. How many friends do you have on social media that you never talk to <laughs> in person? I've even encountered this. I've friended people on Facebook, people that I've known and, and even had conversations online, and then I go to meet them in person, and they like completely ignore me. I'm like, what is this all about? Listen, we can't have unity by thinking somehow we're unified because we have this social status friendship thing going on. Unity is not social media friendship. Unity is meeting together. Unity is coming together. Hebrews 10, 24 says, do not give up meeting together. 
I, I don't want to get into a political discussion about COVID, but I think that was one of the most damaging things I've seen in people's lives. Where people just stopped meeting together. And I know some people who actually got quite comfortable with just watching church online. So I'm not here to say whether or not you should have come to church during COVID-19. What I'm saying is, is if, if there's no reason for you not to gather with God's people, then you should be meeting together. If you want to grow in unity, you can't do so apart from one another. You have to be together. Now, I would say to anybody who is watching online, if you are choosing to watch online simply because it's your choice and not because of any other reason, get to church. We, we can't get to know one another unless we are doing life together. This is why we gather on a sunny morning. It's one reason why we do coffee and donuts. It's not to feed you. It's to get you to interact with one another. We have two services. It gets hard to know everybody, so it's a way to kind of tie the services together. It's, it's why we have prayer gatherings. So we can come together. So we can encourage one another. It's why we do small groups. And I would say this, if you are waiting to get in a small group, please come see me, even if you've already said something. We want to get you connected with other believers because this is how we do life. This is what scripture has called us to do. We can't be unified by being apart from one another. Unity happens when we do life together. And, and, and this next one, these next set of points tie in with meeting together what does that life look like together how do we have unity by when we meet together first of all unity is not superficial unity is not superficial here's what i yeah here's what superficiality is it means you never get past the surface of things in your life you might talk a lot to people you might have great conversations perhaps you are even going deep into biblical discussions but if you never open up your life, if you never let people see your heart and your struggles, then you are nothing more than superficial. Listen, unity won't come if we don't open up to one another. Unity won't come when we stay in our shells and refuse to open ourselves up to others. Scripture calls us to do life with other people. Unity is not superficial. So we can be meeting together, and we can still miss the whole point of unity. So if unity is not superficial, what is it? It's vulnerability. It's vulnerability. Vulnerability is when we are willing to cut through the superficial stuff in order to go deep into our souls and share our greatest griefs and burdens. It's getting to the point with others that we even offer up confession of sin without being asked listen this is not about unless you think i'm saying something different it's not about getting in front of the church and telling the whole world all of your struggles in fact that's probably not the best thing to do but we should have godly people around us who know us well and whom we know well who will call us out who will encourage us this is what fosters great unity and there's nothing like doing life with brothers and sisters where you've been through the trenches together. Where you've battled together, moving forward, looking, trying to conform your life more and more to the image of Christ. 
confessing sin to one another. By the way, do you know what James says about confessing sin to one another? Confess sins to one another. That what? That you may be healed. <laughs> why do we continue to struggle with sin? I think one reason why believers continually struggle with sin is because they don't let anybody in. You're not going to foster unity if you're putting a superficial self out. Do you have people in your life who know you well? Do you have people in your life who are willing to speak the truth and love into your life even if it hurts? Do you have people in your life whom you're at the bottom of the well and you're completely dry who can breathe life into you, who can be an encouragement? Brothers and sisters, I think so many Christians, I, I fear how many Christians are living in the superficiality of life. Who, are, who refuse to be vulnerable, who refuse to open up their lives. So let me ask you, brothers and sisters, do you have a vulnerable kind of relationship with others? Are you vulnerable to the point where you are able to cast your cares on others, confessing our sins so that we can find healing? Or do you find yourself superficial? Do you, do you refuse to be a part of a small group? Do you refuse to be walking together with a small group of people who know you well. Listen, I'm not, like, whether or not it's a small group at Gospel Community Church is not the point. The point is, are you walking with other believers who know you well? If not, what, what's keeping you from doing that? You are blocking the door of unity if you are living in the superficial. Here's the last set. Unity is not ego-stroking. Unity is not ego-stroking. If we want to reach harmony with one another, it will not come from flattery. We don't exist to say nice things about one another for the sake of saying nice things. <laughs> we aren't called to improve each other's self-esteem. Any, any old Saturday Night Live fans? You remember uh, Stuart Smalley? He would look in the mirror, and what, what do you say? I'm good enough, I'm smart enough, and doggone it, people like me. <laughs> that's what he would say. And listen, that's what we want to hear, right? So often what we'll do is we'll surround ourselves with people who won't confront us, who will say how awesome we are, and, and that doesn't serve us at all. I actually, I dated a girl who was like that, who would just say compliments all, 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 time, all day. It didn't matter. You could be the worst person in the world. She would find something to compliment you about. And there, you had no business doing it. I, I could literally pull out in front of somebody, almost kill us, and she'd be like, oh, it's okay, you're still a good driver. No, I'm not! I just about got us killed! What do you mean I'm a good driver? That was terrible what I did. Like, I, I don't, that, that's not, that's not what, what produces unity by just saying flattering words to one another. This, this is not what it is. Rather, unity is encouragement in Christ. Unity is encouragement in Christ. We shouldn't use flattery, but we should encourage one another. It's way different to point someone to Jesus and remind them of their identity in Christ than to pump up someone's ego. And honestly, in this, I find myself grieving at the self-esteem culture that we live in. Everyone gets a trophy. You know what I'm talking about? And it has infiltrated the church. 
So many have taken their attention off of Christ and onto themselves. Our problem, listen, our problem is not that we need to think better of ourselves. We just need to spend less time thinking about ourselves, period. I'm not saying to belittle yourself. I'm just saying stop thinking about yourself. That's why I got to tell myself all the time, Ben, stop thinking about yourself. Man, how discouraging is that to just be looking at yourself all the time? No, it's not about thinking little of yourself. It's just thinking of yourself less. Stop thinking about yourself. And I, I always think about how Paul spoke to the church in Philippians 1.3. just always stuck out to me. Just l- listen to this and, and, and look at it very carefully. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. So what, what's Paul acknowledging, first of all? What's he seeing? He's seeing gospel partnership, like these brothers in Philippi are being faithful to the gospel, he's encouraged by their faith, he, he's seeing great things, but who is he thanking? Who's he thanking? My God, he's not, Philippians, you guys are awesome, you guys are amazing, oh, you guys are fantastic, I can't believe how awesome you are. What's he saying? Oh, I thank my God, oh God, you are so good in the work that you are doing in the church in Philippi. Oh, I thank you, God, for what you are doing in their lives. Whose attention is he turning the Philippians to? He's turning the attention off of themselves to God. Listen, the only reason why we're faithful in Jesus Christ is because of Jesus Christ's faithfulness to us. And he goes on to say in Philippians 1, verse 6, He who began a good work in you will do what? Will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. Who's the one that started the work? God, who's the one that's going to finish it? God. So listen, unity does not come by pumping each other's self-esteem up. That's not what we need. You don't need that. If you're thinking, I just need to think better of myself. No, you don't. Just stop thinking about yourself. You need to think highly of Jesus. Get your mind off yourself and turn it to the everlasting, almighty king of kings. This is the focus. This is what we need. We shouldn't be looking to build a name for ourselves. We're called to lift up the name that is above every other name. And unity won't happen when we puff each other up. It only happens when we lift high the name of Jesus. So let me ask you, who is it you are trying to lift up this morning? Are you seeking the approval of man? Are you living for an audience Unity doesn't come through ego stroking. It comes through encouragement in Christ. I want you to notice here these last two verses. We're only going to spend a brief time on this. But it gives the picture of what this unity looks like. It's not just, hey, be unified for unity's sake. It's what happens with unity, which is why David wants the people to be unified. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. Quick question, what was Aaron to the Israelites? He was the first high priest, right? And what they would do to anoint him, basically blessings on him, is they would put oil on his head. And these oils would be filled with this beautiful fragrance. 
and, and the, the imagery of it running down his beard onto the robe was like, this is, this is what happens. The fragrance of unity, the beauty of unity affects all people. Man, when we look out as elders and see the unification of the body, when we see you praying together, when we see you sharing scripture together, confessing sin to one another, that fragrance floods everyone. It affects everyone. It, it reminds me recently, uh, we went to uh, Texas Roadhouse over by County Road 6. And once you, once you check in there and once they take you to the table, you go right by this row of freshly baked rolls. It's a weakness of mine. I'm not going to lie. But, man, I love the smell of fresh baked bread or rolls. It's like, oh, it brings a smile to my face. This, that's the fragrance. That's the picture and the imagery you get of when we live in unity as believers in Christ. It is a fragrance and it affects everyone. Listen, when the, when the church lives in unity, the world looks in awe. Why? Because they don't understand. They're not seeing and experiencing the unity that we experience when Christ is central in our lives. The imagery goes on in verse 3. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. The dew would fall and it would nourish the, the plants and the flowers and the trees on the mountains. You get the picture? When we live in unity, it is a blessing. And look what the Lord commands when unity is being lived out. For there, the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Listen, when we express the unity, listen, there, there's complete, perfect unity between the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a mystery we don't understand. It's not three gods. It's three persons in one God. There's great unity there. And when we live in unity with one another, what we are expressing is that we have been transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And therefore, I'm not going to allow the sins of my brother or sister to get in the way of our unity. I'm going to confront it in love as they confront me in love. And we're going to live in unity. And God commands his blessings on those who live in unity. So, brothers and sisters, what is the Lord revealing to you today? Is there an area in your life that you are causing disunity in any of these areas? I encourage you to spend some time in repentance and pursuing unity, perhaps you are just refusing to do life with other people. You refuse to be an open book because you're afraid of what they think of you. And so just think of the ludicrousy of that. You'd rather live in your, the muck of your sin than get it out there, bring it to the light, and find healing? Our big idea. Christian unity leaves a satisfying aroma for all the people to benefit from May Gospel Community Church be one of beautiful unity that affects our community. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the challenge of living in unity with one another, Lord. Certainly there are times in my life where I see that I'm, I'm not pursuing it, Lord. That I care more about what people think of me than I do about glorifying you. Father, there are times where I, I'd rather just conceal my struggles than bring it to a brother or sister who could then encourage me. 
Father, sometimes I want people to say how awesome I am rather than to say how amazing you are. God, what, what is it in each of our lives that's keeping us from living in Christian unity? I pray that you would expose our hearts. You would grant us repentance and, and Lord, that you would grow the unity of our church. Protect our church, Lord. Nothing would want to, would please the enemy more than creating disunity amongst us. And so, Father, let us take no part in gossip. Let us take no part in superficiality of refusing to call anybody out, but Lord, let us do so, making sure that we have checked any logs in our own eye first, and then going humbly in love. Father, this is such a delicate thing, and, and we can abuse this in so many different ways. And so, Lord, I ask for your protection, for your supernatural protection. And God, may the unity that we have here be a beautiful fragrance to the world around us who looks in amazement that people could get along so well. And God, when that happens, it's only because of your grace and your mercy. And it's in your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let me leave you with some action steps you can put into practice this morning. Encourage you to memorize Psalm 133. Remind yourself of the fragrance that unity is. It's only three verses. And then, just to get ready for next week, well, as we'll conclude this sermon, uh, read Psalm 134. Uh, I'm going to have Nathan Scroggins. He's going to bring the word next week. So uh, be expectant of him, dear brother to me, and uh, grateful for his impact in my life and, and grateful for how he will bless our church. You can pray for Nikki and I. We're uh, going to Bear Lake Camp for their family camp this weekend in Jones, Michigan. And uh, we're going to be leading some four sessions on parenting and marriage and uh so appreciate your prayers as we encourage them this coming week uh also uh in two weeks we're starting a new series we're going to look at the book of jonah so one of the burdens growing burdens that we have is that we want to create a culture of evangelism in our church we don't want to be event focused on just doing outreach events i, I think those are relatively unaffected I'm not saying we'll never do those, we will, but like the, the most effective thing we can do is live the life of a missionary. We're all missionaries, right? Like we're all called to go and make disciples of all people, wherever we are. You, you are the only, you might be the only Jesus of, that is in the lives of those people around you. And so I'm, I'm prayerful and asking the Lord to move through Jonah for, it'll be a four week, we'll just look at one chapter a week basically as we're challenged in creating a culture of evangelism uh, in our church. And then question for you there, how is God convicting you? If he's bringing conviction, take time to pray through it, confess, receive his forgiveness, and then how can you grow in that area? And then lastly, strive for unity. Strive for unity. Church, remember what appropriate thing to say this as well. You are the light of the world. And what a light it is when we live in unity. A city on a hill, the light shines. Don't, don't hide it in a basket. Let your light shine so that others may see your good works and give glory not to you, but to your Father who is in heaven. Have a great week.